Well, we are finishing up our series on the eyewitnesses this morning. And what a series it has been. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And I find that a lot of these stories have really encouraged me and my faith. And, um, you know, just seeing some of these people and what they experienced and how they portrayed that to the gospel writers has been exciting and fun and enjoyable. Now, we're reading a story this morning that I thoroughly enjoyed researching, that I thoroughly enjoyed going through in my studies for this sermon. Now, I will not say that this is the best eyewitness testimony that we have or the best story of an eyewitness that we have, um, because, you know, there are a lot of great ones out there. Some of them, you know, might even be witnessing something more significant. But in terms of satisfaction as this one's got to be up there. This one has got to be up there because we are going to know some things that the people in this story do not know. We have the ability to know who somebody is that the characters in this story don't know. And that brings a lot of satisfaction as a reader. It's a lot of excitement. It's kind of funny at different points. And I, I hope that some of you laugh at different points that are somewhat humorous because Jesus, quite honestly, you know, sometimes he's kind of a sassy character and he asks questions that really get at you sometimes. And Jesus is going to do that in this story. But we are talking about a man named Cleopas today. Um, and we're going to kind of talk through a little bit about him, a little bit of information about who he is. Then we're going to talk a little bit about his testimony and then what we can learn from this person today. And so if you want to follow along with this story, um, Luke 24 is where we're going to be at for a large majority of the scriptures. There's only one verse that is not from Luke 24 in this sermon. So if you want to hang out in Luke 24, please feel welcome to do that, and we will go through that together. But let's start here in uh, verse 13 of chapter 24, which says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now sometimes these context verses that give us a little bit of ability to, to say what was going on before this verse, um, they tell us a lot that we need to know about a story, and this one does that. So if you heard the sermon from last week, um, Pastor Matt preached, um, the, the story that he preached on is actually directly in, in front of this, this, this verse. And so it's about the women who go to the tomb and find it empty and then come back and report that empty tomb to the disciples. And so when it says, now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, that them is actually very significant, right? It seems like one of those simple, thrown around a lot English words that doesn't really carry a lot of significance with it. But that them is significant because what we can learn from that word them is that these two people are disciples of Jesus. Now, maybe not part of the 11 disciples. They weren't a part of the 11 disciples, right? The closest inner circle to Jesus. But these two are followers of Jesus. And so what we can learn from that is that Cleopas was a follower of Jesus. And this person, whoever it may be with them, was a follower of Jesus. Right, so he was, Cleopas was following Jesus around, hearing what he was teaching, hearing his sermons, seeing the, the miracles that Jesus was doing. He wasn't a part of the closest inner circle 
of disciples, but he still was close to Jesus. He still saw Jesus in a different way than so many other people saw Jesus. So this word them tells us a lot about this person, Cleopas, doesn't it? But it also, this, this one verse kind of tells us a little bit more about this story. And that is that Cleopas is returning back to life as he knew it. Now this verse itself doesn't necessarily tell us all of that, but later on we will see that Cleopas and this person he is traveling with already have a place to stay in Emmaus. Now unless they rode ahead, which I don't assume they did after the week they just had, they are going back to a place where they've stayed before and probably even live. I believe that Cleopas is going back to his home and most likely even returning to life as he knew it. Now, his life probably was changed because of what he experienced with Jesus Christ and following him for several years or however long it was, but still, Jesus is dead now. It doesn't really make much sense to follow around someone who isn't necessarily moving around. So Cleopas is most likely returning to life as he knew it, given he has more stories to tell and something more to witness about, but He's returning. I don't know what it would have been. I don't know if he was a fisherman or a tax collector or whatever he was, but he was going back to his occupation. He was going back to life as he knew it before. Now, the next verse that we're going to read kind of tells us something significant about Cleopas. And I find this something quite exciting. So we're going to turn to John, just real quick here. John chapter 19, verse 25 And it says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, one of the things you need to know about names in biblical times is sometimes they're they're changed between Gospels or changed between books because sometimes it depends on which language you are using or which language you are, are discussing them in, which name you use. We see this with Peter, who's also called Simon. Uh, Saul, who becomes Paul, changes his name so he's able to identify and minister to the Gentiles better. And I believe here we are seeing the same person from Luke 24 just by a tad bit of a different name. Right? So we have the name Clopas. I believe that to be Cleopas, which tells us something very significant about Cleopas that we possibly wouldn't have known if we didn't make that connection. And that is this, that Cleopas is a relative of Jesus. See, Clopas in the early church is known to be the uncle of Jesus. He is known to be the brother of Joseph and therefore the uncle of Jesus. And so when it's mentioning all those Marys there, right? there are several Marys at the foot of the cross, they say Mary of Clopas, who would be Jesus' aunt. And you want to make that distinction to say, hey, there were several Marys here. This is this Mary, this is this Mary, and this is this Mary. right? And so... Um, Mary and Mary end up being sisters, but by marriage, and so that isn't quite an uncommon thing, right? And so we see that Cleopas is a relative of Jesus, which tells us something very significant about this story that we are reading. If we were to follow along with how these eyewitness sermons have kind of worked throughout this series, we would say, well, Cleopas's name is mentioned. He is a prominent figure in the church. People are going to know who he is. He's got to be the eyewitness. And I would agree with that. I would say that Cleopas is the eyewitness. It's the one, he is the one telling Luke this story. 
that Luke is reporting in his gospel, um, and which we are reading today, right? There is this theory out there, though, that says that the other person with Cleopas is the one telling the story. And that's because Cleopas is only mentioned once, and he's kind of mentioned in a way that says, well, Cleopas said this. Now, again, I don't really agree with this theory. It is out there, and I think it's an interesting one to say, you know, this person wouldn't have been well known throughout the church. People wouldn't know, wouldn't have known his name anyway. And so as he's telling this story, it just makes sense to name drop Cleopas and say, hey, people know him. I'm going to name drop him. And Luke says, yes, I'm going to name drop him. But I think Cleopas is the one that is telling this story. He is reporting it to Luke. And people will say that the person with Cleopas is his wife, Mary. I believe if that were true, that she would be named because Luke has a tendency to name significant women in the Gospels, and this person isn't named. So I just believe this to be another disciple who's walking along with Cleopas to Emmaus, right? So we don't know who he is or who this person is in general. We just know that they're traveling with Cleopas and that there's two disciples on this road. So, as we kind of move forward in this story, that's kind of what we know about Cleopas. We don't know a whole lot more about him. We don't know what his occupation was. We don't know for sure if he was from Emmaus, but we do know that you know, he's a relative of Jesus, and we know that um, he's in this story and contained in this story. And one of the reasons why I would figure that Cleopas is the, the teller of this story, is reporting the story, is that you know, when you are when someone is preparing um, for something like a funeral, who are the people that they go to first to ask for stories, to ask for accounts? They go to the family. So if Cleopas is Jesus' uncle, Luke is going to say in his head, this is someone I want to talk to. This is someone I want to intentionally go to and discuss these things with. Luke would want to go to Cleopas and say, what have you seen? What did you experience? Because not only is Cleopas Jesus' uncle, but he's also a disciple of Jesus. He was also there for a majority of Jesus' ministry, most likely. So Cleopas would want to see and, and hear everything that Cleopas, or Luke would want to hear everything that Cleopas has to say about his nephew, Jesus. It just makes sense that way. So as we move forward, now we know a bit more about Cleopas and who he was. And let's get into his testimony a little bit. So in this verse it says, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now if Cleopas is a disciple of Jesus, if he were following Jesus around, seeing him do miracles, hearing his sermons, hearing him teach and preach, then Cleopas would just know everything that has happened in his life and most likely he would have experienced and seen everything that happened during the Holy Week. So we see that Cleopas had been around everything that had happened surrounding Jesus that most recent week. And this, this conversation that these two people are having, I imagine was a, a kind of a fiery one. It was intense. It was difficult for them to have because what have they just seen? Well, they just saw this person that they followed around, that they attributed their life to. They saw him brutally beaten. They saw him crucified. They saw a lot of really difficult things, given there were some really exciting things like the triumphal entry that week. But they have just seen 
some really horrific scenes to someone they really cared about. And so this conversation that they're having has to be filled with emotion, has to be filled with sadness, it has to be filled with possibly some anger. This is a very difficult and intense conversation. And also, I believe, this conversation probably involved theology, them talking about what different things mean surrounding what just happened with Jesus. Right? They have, they've heard from the women that the tomb is empty. Now, if they're returning to life as they knew it, they probably don't believe necessarily that Jesus has resurrected and is walking around the earth again. Some of them, one of them might believe that, you know, Jesus' body was stolen. One of them might believe that Jesus was taken up into heaven, like has been reported in the Bible before. But they're probably talking about those things, right? Maybe Cleopas is saying, well, the body was just stolen, and his friend is like, no, 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 Jesus was taken up into heaven. Right? They're having these conversations that are intense, that are, are full of passion because of their great love for Jesus. That, I believe, is what is happening in this conversation. And now, as we get into the meat of the story, is where things get fun and very satisfying for us as readers because we get to see things that the characters do not see. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So this is kind of the fun part. Okay, We get to know that Jesus is the person that is talking with them, that is walking along with them, but these two people are kept from recognizing him. How, we don't know exactly, um, you know, I, I, if it were Jesus, I assume, I don't know if he'd look different or if he'd sound different, right? Because he's got to have an unmistakable face and voice when you've been following him along for years. But somehow, some way, these people are kept from recognizing Jesus. And so Jesus comes up, um, and they don't know it's him, and he starts, you know, he, he asks, he, go, he, he does this now. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walking, as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. So this random person in their heads, this random guy, comes up and asks them, what are you guys talking about? What are you talking about as you're walking along this road? And what they're talking about is very sad. So physically, they show this, this, this physical anguish, this physical sadness. You know, they, they just kind of stop. And their faces are, are, are down as they're asked this question, about what they're talking about. I assume in that moment, it's probably not necessarily something they want to talk about with a stranger. They're comfortable talking about it with each other because they're friends and they've seen the same things, they've experienced the same things, but the stranger who asks them, what are you talking about? In their most saddened state of mind, it's got to be honestly frustrating and annoying. Like, man, you just don't ask questions like that randomly, right? And so, one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So as they're walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem, this guy, I guess Jesus, comes up from behind them because he's walking the same direction. And so their obvious question is, What? Are you the only one who is in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the events that took place? Right, trying to kind of give an example of what this looks like, I think of something like the Olympics in Beijing or something like that, right? 
where it's this big ceremony. People know the Olympics are happening. And if you're walking along a road from Beijing to somewhere else, and some guy comes up and says, hey, what are you talking about? Uh, the Olympics that were happening in Beijing. Don't you know you were there? Right? You were there. You should have known these things were happening. Now, obviously, we know as, as readers that Jesus knows everything that has happened in Jerusalem because, well, they happened to him, right? But these guys don't know it's Jesus. And so they answer the question with the only way they know how, with a little bit of sass in it, like, how do you not know what has happened? But then Jesus asked, what things? And then they say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. These events have to be just right there in their mind because he recalls it. They recall it perfectly. They go through the whole week saying he was handed over, he was crucified, he was buried, then the women didn't find him, and they went and told the companions about it, and then they went and didn't see Jesus' body in the tomb. Right? He recalls it very, very well. And it has to be just sticking there. And so he, when he's asked, what are you talking about? He gives him an answer. He says, oh, let me tell you, this is what happened in Jerusalem. Because he saw his friend, he saw his, his Savior go through awful, awful things. So let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened in Jerusalem. But there's something very specifically that I find in this set of Scriptures very, very interesting. And that is that Cleopas had hoped for more than what he saw happen. He actually says in his answer, we had hoped that Jesus would be the one who would redeem Israel. We've talked several times in these eyewitnesses' sermons about how Jesus was expected by people around him to be different than what he was. How even family members expected Jesus to be someone different than what he actually was. Right? People expected Jesus to be the one who was honestly doing the killing. They expected Jesus to come and become this amazing king who would lead their nation into triumph and glory and into being a great nation once again. They didn't expect someone like what they got. They didn't expect someone who was crucified. They didn't expect someone who seemed to lose the battle. They expected someone different. And so Cleopas had hoped for more than what he saw happen. Because what he saw happen was this person I put my whole life into, my whole faith into, was defeated. He was killed on the cross. Despite whatever happened afterwards, right? we don't necessarily get the idea that one, he believed the women when they came back and told the story of the empty tomb. right? I mean, they, he obviously believed that it was empty. But he 
definitely doesn't seem to believe that Jesus was now risen again. Because also he says it's the third day since all this has happened. So he kind of recalls part of what Jesus said, like after three days I'm going to rise again. Well, where is he? Where did he go? The logical conclusions are, well, maybe he his body was stolen. Maybe he just went up into heaven like has happened before. But I'm not entirely sure. I haven't seen Jesus, so it doesn't really make much sense to say that he is risen from the dead. Either way, Cleopas really hoped for more than what he saw. He really hoped Jesus was something different than what he actually got. And then we get this part of the conversation. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, which is a very low blow when someone is already really, really sad about something they've, they've gone through. After seeing someone you care about so much die, and then someone coming up to you say, you are foolish, just so you know. Like, that hurts. That's, that's frustrating. That's annoying, right? That, that, yeah. You'd hear some words from me if I, if you said that to me after I've gone through losing a family member, right? That hurts. But Jesus still says it. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Which is funny, because these guys still don't know it's Jesus. We know it's Jesus. But Jesus is now talking about them, about him, or talking to them about himself through all the scriptures, which is kind of funny to me. So he's, he's, he said all these things in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. So as soon as they realize it's Jesus... Then all of a sudden he's gone again. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So we get this this is the final piece of this story. They are walking along and being insulted by this random guy, and then all of a sudden this random guy starts like speaking about scriptures like no one they've ever heard before. He's just he's got them memorized, and he starts saying like you know with 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 Moses and all the prophets, and he just starts saying these are all the things that involve this Jesus of Nazareth that you're talking about. Still, they don't recognize that this is Jesus, but they're impressed by what this guy is saying. And so, as they get to Emmaus, they're like, well, we'd like to carry on our conversation. Won't you please stay with us? It's late, and we've got a room for you if you'd like it. So Jesus accepts, and they go in, and they they share a meal together, right? And then, Jesus breaks bread like I assume only Jesus can do, right? Because he's done it before, and it's got to be just this specific, like, ah, I've seen this before. I know you. You're Jesus. 
Then they know, like, this is Jesus. And at that moment, then Jesus is gone again. But they're not upset, right? They're not angry, like, darn it, I wanted Jesus to stay longer. They're just appreciative and excited about what they've gone through that day. They're walking along and this random person comes up, asks them what they're talking about, and then they get into this long conversation about what has happened, about the prophets, and what's been said about Jesus. And it's been in conversation with Jesus Himself the entire time. And they ask the question, were not our hearts burning knowing it was Him? Didn't we understand that it was Jesus this entire time? What an amazing moment that must have been to say, oh, wow, that was Jesus the entire time. And so when Jesus reveals Himself, everything changed for Cleopas. We're not exactly sure what Cleopas believed before this moment, but after they encounter Jesus and see that it was Jesus, their lives are changed. Because what do they do? They say, we've been walking all day, right? Seven-mile walking journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And now they say, well, we've seen it's Jesus, so we're going to turn around and go right back to Jerusalem so we can tell the disciples and whoever's with them about this scene that we've experienced, right? So their lives are changed to the point where they're like, we just, I mean, we got to go right back. Like, it's not even like, hey, let's, let's sleep and then we'll leave tomorrow and be rested. It's no, we got to go back right now and tell the disciples what we've seen, what we've witnessed, what we've experienced. We need to do that. Like I said, I love this story. I think it is so exciting for us as a reader, but it's also got to be exciting for Cleopas and his companion, right? His friend. Because they're in this downer mood for most of the time when this day, and they're having this conversation with this guy who seems so random, and then all of a sudden they figure out, oh, this is Jesus. This has been amazing. This is awesome. What? This doesn't happen. And now they believe, if they didn't before, what the women said about the empty tomb. Like, Jesus has risen. They're like, yes, he has. We saw him, right? We encountered him. And it's this amazing moment. And I believe that Luke is very intentional about where he placed this story. Luke is so intentional about where he placed this story. Because if it's right after those women, which it is in Luke's Gospel, this is the first time in Luke's Gospel that we read about someone who encountered Jesus after the resurrection. So it's very clear that Luke is intentional about what he's doing here in saying, look, these guys, Cleopas and his friend, they're walking along and we get this very clear image of what we are supposed to do with the gospel message. There is the story of what has happened with Jesus, right? There is the events of what have happened with Jesus. We've seen and read all of his his teachings and his miracles. We've read and seen all of those things. And then the Holy Week happens And then there is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And then there is the encounter with Jesus after He has resurrected. For us, it's the encounter with the story of Jesus, knowing He has resurrected from the dead. And so we get this very succinct story of what it looks like to go through that whole process and then encounter Jesus after He has resurrected and then say, I have a mission now. 
to go and share this story. And I think Luke is being very intentional about saying, hey, you have a story now. Go and share it with people, just like Cleopas and his friend did. They encountered Jesus after he was resurrected, and they knew immediately what they had to do was go and tell this story. Yes, the women were the first ones to communicate the gospel that Jesus was risen from the dead. But in Luke's gospel, at least, these are the first two people to encounter Jesus after he has risen from the dead. And then they know immediately, we have to go share this story. But there's one moment that I want to focus on just for a few minutes here. And that is verse 29, which says, they, But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So we went to stay in to stay with them. If this moment doesn't happen, they don't have an encounter with Jesus. If they don't invite Jesus in, they don't have that encounter with Jesus. And therefore, they don't go tell a story of seeing the risen Jesus. We don't read it today. I'm not preaching this sermon this morning. Now, the resurrection still happens, so we're still here in this building, right? But this story isn't here. And these guys, their lives aren't really changed unless something happens later. If this moment, if this question doesn't happen, if they don't say, stay with us, then probably Jesus doesn't stay with them. He carries on. He goes forward. But they did, right? Life is full of what ifs, and we can say what if all we want, but Jesus stayed with them, and this moment happened. But I believe, you know, there's a lot of things that we can learn from different stories. There's a lot of things that we can learn from this story, but I want to focus on this one idea, and that is that we encounter Jesus when we open ourselves up to opportunities to encounter Him. Now, I'm not saying that we have all the power in how we encounter Jesus. That gives us too much power, and quite frankly, we don't have that power. But when we take little steps, God does amazing things. Right? We, if we open ourselves up to opportunities to encounter Jesus, to experience Him, Sometimes those opportunities will amaze us in how they work. Right, we're here this morning in the building and online, right? We took this little opportunity. It is an opportunity to encounter Jesus, to meet Him, to experience Him and what He has to offer. We took this little opportunity to encounter Him. I mean, what does it look like for us on a larger scale? Where, well, going to church, reading Scripture, praying, right, going to summer camp, serving at summer camp, serving elsewhere, going to conferences. When we open ourselves up to small opportunities to encounter Jesus, amazing things happen. These two people open themselves up to an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Unknowingly, right? They had no idea this guy was Jesus. But still, they said, I've really enjoyed our conversation. We'd like to invite you in to our home to share a meal with us, to, to stay with us. And that guy ended up being Jesus. And when they encountered the risen Jesus, their lives were changed forever. And they said, we've got to go tell this story. When we open ourselves up to little opportunities to encounter Jesus, and then we do, I'm telling you, our lives can be changed forever. Our lives can look 
drastically different than they did before. For some people that I've known, this has looked like them taking the little opportunity of going to, to rehab or joining a, a 12 steps program or something like that. That little opportunity to meet Jesus, to encounter Jesus, changed their lives forever. And then kind of with a ripple effect, change other people's lives. This is something that is truly phenomenal about God and about how He works. And so, Jesus will amaze us when we open up to opportunities to encounter Him. It's truly awesome. It's truly remarkable how Jesus works in little decisions that we make. How Jesus works in little just things that we do. In little and just coming to church one Sunday, right? Or even if we go to church every Sunday and say, you know, this one time that I went, I encountered Jesus like I did not ever expect to encounter him. And it was amazing. It was phenomenal. And it changed my life. These opportunities to encounter Him that we open ourselves up to really can change our lives, other people's lives that you know, we know, that we're friends with, that we're, we're around, that we're family with. It is honestly kind of crazy how God can work sometimes. So finally, the world encounters Jesus through His church, seizing opportunities to encounter Him and spread the gospel. Just like we're reading a story this morning from you know, thousands of years ago that involves these guys having a changed life. They, they seized this opportunity to encounter Jesus and then their lives were changed and they communicate that story to Luke. Just how we're reading that today. When we tell stories of our lives, of how we have been changed, how we have been impacted by Jesus Christ. People hear those stories. People relate to those stories. People see Jesus in those stories, in the stories that we tell. I, for a long time, was someone who thought my testimony was boring because I grew up in the church. I thought that for a long time when I was in middle school and high school. I thought it's not even worth me telling my story because everyone's heard a story like mine before, right? If you're that person, I'm here to tell you that is so far from the truth. Your story matters. Every person's story matters. There are people who will identify with your story for the kind of the most random of reasons sometimes, but still yet they'll identify with your story and they'll hear Jesus in your story. Your story matters because it involves Jesus Christ and what He did for you. Your story matters because Jesus matters. These two people on this one trip to Emmaus encounter Jesus and then go forth to tell this story to Luke and now we hear about it today. And what an honor and privilege we have to read this story. Because of one simple moment of inviting Jesus into their home, unknowingly inviting Jesus into their home. But we have the same abilities and opportunities to encounter Jesus. I mean, maybe we won't see Him like this, right? But we still encounter Him. We experience Him. 
And then we are commissioned. We receive the mission to go out and to tell that story to the world. Just like Cleopas and his friend. And that, I believe, is why Luke intentionally placed this story where it's at. Because he knows that we have a mission to fulfill. He knows that we have something to do. And that is immediately to take our encounters with Jesus and say, hey, this is what we read about. This is how I've seen it happen in my life. This is how I've seen it work in my life. This is how it's impacted me. And this is how it can impact you. That is our mission. And so I invite you then, if you are someone who has never been baptized, who hasn't said um, that I, I, I am going to join in that mission, if you would like to this morning, I invite you to come forward. I'll be here at the front of the stage and we can talk through next steps with you. If you're online, you can get in, to- in contact with the church office. If you are someone who maybe has fallen back on this mission a little bit and says, I want to rededicate myself to this mission, I would also invite you to come forward or get in contact with the church office. If you are someone who says, I would like to join with this specific church here at Turner Christian Church in this movement, in this community, in surrounding communities, I would invite you to come forward and place your membership here or contact the church office. As we ponder these things, as we reflect on these things, I invite you to sing with us, Great is Thy Faithfulness.